Hello and welcome to CQC Connect, the podcast from the Care Quality Commission. My name is David Gwyther and I'm a Communications and Engagement Manager here at the CQC. Today we are going to be looking at the CQC's Regulators Pioneer Fund project, which is looking at reducing health inequalities in areas of deprivation through better regulatory recognition and the sharing of best practice, with funding from the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. I am joined by Dr Davina Maru, who is a National Medical Director's Clinical Fellow here at CQC and Project Lead, along with Annabel Stigwood, a CQC Primary Medical Services Inspector. We are also joined today by Dr Fasana Hussein, who is a GP at the Project Surgery in Newham, East London, and Clinical Director for Newham Central One Primary Care Network, and who was also GP of the Year in 2019. Tabina, if we can start with you, how did this project come about and why is it important to the CQC? Thanks, David. So we know this COVID-19 pandemic has had a huge impact <coughs> on health and social care. And it really exposed a lot of health inequalities faced both by people who use the services and also people who provide the care. And we felt that the CQC, as the regulator of health services, should encourage improvement and innovation in this area. And it's also one of CQC's new core ambitions as part of their strategy, which has an emphasis on reducing inequalities and promoting innovation. So the CQC hopes to continually foster a supportive regulatory environment for services where they feel able to try new approaches to care that reduce inequalities. And that's why it's really exciting to receive this grant by the government to explore the innovative ways that GPs in England have tackled health inequalities. Annabelle, what exactly do we mean by innovation and how can this help to tackle health inequality? You know, David, that's such an interesting question um, because I think sometimes there's a bit of confusion about what innovation actually is and what this means in a GP practice. And sometimes there's a misconception that an intervention or approach is only innovative if something new is invented or implemented. And whilst that might be the case, it doesn't have to be. The innovation can be improving an existing system or practice and refining it to better respond to the health inequalities and and meet the needs of of the patients. So we know that um, health inequalities are avoidable, they're unfair, and that that there's systematic differences in health between different groups of people. They're not random and they can be avoided. We know that the causes of health inequalities are vast and complex, and these can include um, factors such as poverty, discrimination, and they they can be motivated by economic or educational reasons, for example. The effects can be seen, they're they're massively concerning. They can be seen on people's well-being, their their healthy life expectancy, their their morbidity and and mortality. So in the fieldwork that's already been undertaken as part of this project, we've heard of some great examples of innovation in tackling health inequalities. We've heard of practices who've worked with existing very good patient management systems, but found a way to improve them to better meet the needs of their patients who are experiencing health inequalities. 
And in this example, what we found is that they've gone the extra mile to make uh, to their learning, to make not only just real improvements for their own practice, but to to go back to the management system so that other other populations can can benefit too. And that's that's a really innovative approach. But similarly, we understand that practice populations are unique and not all innovations can be rolled out to other practices. That that's just simply doesn't doesn't work. We don't underestimate the importance of adapting innovation to the local context and getting that implementation right. That way, innovation can make a real difference in tackling health inequalities. Thank you, Annabelle. Bazana, why is innovation and recognition of innovation important to general practice? So I think it's following on from Annabelle's point, isn't it, about what is innovation and does innovation always have to be something new? The reason that it's important, uh, David, and um, you know, if I give you a personal example, I, I work in an area in East London that um, is highly deprived and sadly we had the highest COVID death rate in the country in the first wave and COVID has just really uncovered health inequalities. It's shone a light on them. It's not that health inequalities weren't uh, uh, there before, but it's great to see that it's really on everybody's mind now so we can change it because as Annabelle says this is avoidable. So if we think about um, general practice so we're all trying to achieve similar things but we're all starting from different baselines. So if I take an example of um, cancer so for example general practice is very involved with screening for cervical cancer. It's the sixth most common cancer around but sadly it doesn't have any symptoms with it. So the screening is very, very important to save the lives of some very young women. We know that under 35s tend not to come for their screening that much. So um, I have a, a friend who works in Loughton, which is only five miles down the road from me, and uh, his only difficulty in achieving 99% is that some of his uh, lady patients go and have it done privately and they don't give him the, the results. I, on the other hand, to reach 76% and when the target is 80%, really had to think differently. Uh, we were stuck at about 50% for a number of years. So with the innovation wasn't anything dramatic. It was really thinking about why is it our patients are not coming? How do we tackle that? Do we have the workforce then to actually encourage these people to come more? Because we know they're not going to come with one text message. They're not going to come with one invitation. So something that we did at our practice, and I run a list of 5,000 patients, is that we really did um, use that cliche of making every contact count. So um, if a patient came in for their sore throat, it was like, oh, shall we just do your smear for you? So in order for that to happen, we needed to ensure that the nurse had some spare appointments every day. In order for that to happen, we needed to ensure that everybody in the practice, every single member of my team of 10 from receptionist to healthcare assistant knew that if somebody was coming in they would look to see if they needed a smear and then they would be able to have that sensitive conversation to encourage them to have it there and then. 
so these things, um, each part of that is not particularly innovative. You would think of that as good clinical care, but piecing it all together and actually achieving those jobs is very innovative. And it's something that I'm really pleased to say our practice was commended for uh, by CQC because, you know, in an area where we have very low uptake rates for cervical cytology, never more important now because in the first wave of COVID, um, London had a pause for six months on cytology so we have a lot of people who need the, the, those tests um, so that's a small example of things that may sound obvious but actually doing them doing them together as a team so we're all working together to achieve a shared aim and keeping at it as well and ensuring that we do it with the sensitivity for our patients it's quite frightening for a woman to come in for uh, for example a, a chest examination and someone to say well, do you smear for you now when she's actually quite scared about it and there may be lots of reasons she may feel embarrassed about it so put together I think that is an example of innovation which perhaps isn't always recognized we think of innovation as the big shiny things but really uh, innovation that makes impact is often just piecing together things that we already know but we don't always have the headspace to implement. Uh, thank you Fazana for saying that because as a regulator, CQC is really committed to ensuring that people receive safe, effective, this compassionate, high quality care. And like you said, it's putting all these pieces together that makes it innovative and ensuring it's safe. Um, and we do acknowledge that there are still inequalities in healthcare across different areas of the country and amongst different populations, like you mentioned in your area around cervical, uh, cervical screening and making sure you reduce the stigma around it. And that's why we think as a regulator, we have to always ensure that people receive the safe, effective, compassionate care, but taking into account their local population needs and what that practice is doing for that population. And we found that these GP practices tend to be in areas of high deprivation, often having large health inequalities. And that's why they go in that extra mile to make sure they do these innovative things for their own population. And we have also noticed that reducing these health inequalities can occur over months and not always reflected as immediate improvement in health outcomes. And we really want to emphasise it's not all about regulating targets, but also promoting this innovation with a bigger picture at the end of regulating healthcare with the aim of reducing health inequalities and benefiting the population as we go on in general. It's so helpful to hear you say that, Davina, because one of, I think, the frustrations has been for many providers and myself is that we do often look at the end picture target. So if we take the cervical cytology, for example, is 80 percent. But um, as you say, it's how you got there. So my friend in Loughton is getting there in a very different way to how how we are getting there. And yeah, for us to, to increase our smear targets from 50 percent to 74 percent took two years. It took two Two years and now though that that behavior has embedded both within the practice and also our patients so they know that actually you know what they'll get a call that they'll get another call that they'll get another call so they know that and and, and it does change behavior so it, it does make it easier then to tackle that health inequality uh, and and absolutely I mean this is so important we know don't we that the Marmot 22 report came out and that if you are a woman living in an area of high deprivation, you are actually living 10 years less 
than you were before. If we just think about that, obviously being a woman living in a deprived area, it's shocking to think that you know, I live in one of the most iconic cities in the world. I live in Newham and actually people are dying. Women are dying 10 years younger. So it's something that I think we all have responsibility to tackle. Fazana and Davina, thank you very much. And Fazana, that was a, a great example uh, of innovation that you gave there. Uh, Davina and Annabelle, uh, has this project so far uncovered are there any other good examples of innovation that you can share with us? Yeah, um, I've been an inspector with the CQC for, for coming up to 10 years now. Um, and one of the things that I absolutely love about that job, about the job, is hearing what, what practices are doing to meet the needs of, of, of their patients. I've had the pleasure of working with some truly inspirational practices. So this was, this was pre-pandemic. Uh, one of the, the practices that I'm thinking of worked with patients who'd been relocated from their homes um, to live in, in houses of, of multiple occupation on a, on a large scale. And they were away from their, their support networks. Um, their children were, were walking miles to school every day with only a, a disused car park to, to play in. But this practice, it was, it was fabulous. They were so committed. Um, they worked with public health teams to understand the risks and health needs of their patients so that they could provide truly exceptional joined up care. But the issue that I had as an inspector and, and we have as a regulator is how do you measure that? How do you measure that innovation? Because that's having an impact on, on people's lives. But it's not, as, as Fazana, Fazana discussed before, that's not going to show up tomorrow. That's not that's not going to show up in tomorrow's cough figures or, or public health data, but it's making a, a real difference. So as we as we move forward with this project, what we're looking at is how to capture that innovation and how to and how to not necessarily measure the innovation, but capture it. We need to be looking at people's experiences rather than just sticking to to traditional data sources and. As Fazana said, it takes time for those kinds of innovations to be to be measurable at all. It might never translate into into a traditional data source. So, although this project's in its in its early stages, the vision is is that we could capture capture that innovation when it starts. We want to be able to say to practices, "This is an innovative approach to tackle health inequalities," and celebrate it celebrate it at the at the inception. And as the innovation becomes embedded into routine practice, we need to be looking beyond those numbers. We need to listen to what people are telling us. Um, we as an organisation need to be dynamic at understanding um, what improvement is. I'm really interested to hear you say that, Annabelle, and um, really pleased, actually, because um, it, it, it's difficult, isn't it? Because obviously, as regulators, of course, you need to give the public and yourselves assurance that practices are safe. As Davina said, you know, that's one of the, the key, um, uh, one of the Chloe's, isn't it? One of the indicators. Um, but uh, as we move and, and COVID and the pandemic has shown us, the vaccine rollout has shown us that actually general practice does 
doesn't work in isolation. We're part of a system. So it was interesting hearing you talk about those uh, people who had been, you know, relocated and actually what the practice was doing. Because, yes, that's not going to come out in your 80 percent gained for your diabetes targets. So we measure things that are important, but there are also things that we're not measuring and perhaps what we might call those process measures rather than those outcome measures. And, and it reminds me of when I've given an example of a very practice based innovation that we did, if you want to call it an innovation to increase our cervical smear targets. I probably at the time wouldn't have thought of that as an innovation, but thinking about it, it is um, a different project that we're doing now that's uh, more um, system based is um, we found sadly that um, many of our young children in Newham get stabbed to death. It's a problem uh, across the country, very much a problem in London, but I have had three teenagers, which is quite a lot for a list of only 5,000 patients stabbed to death just in the past few years. Um, and my, my last patient, um, it's in public domain, it was on the BBC just two Octobers ago, uh, Baptista was stabbed to death at half past three in the afternoon on his way home from school, um, two minutes from where I live. And I just thought to myself, um, what are we doing for these people? Because they're not on a cough register. We wouldn't know about them, but actually kids are dying. These are people who have not lived a life yet. So um, I'm fortunate to be part of a national health inequalities project called the Complete Care Communities. And London has three sites. Uh, there's 20 20 something sites over the country that's expanding and we have chosen as a primary care network not a practice as a primary care network of seven practices i'm the clinical director for one of our primary care networks to look at this group of young people 11 to 16 year olds to identify them and think can we identify any risk factors? Um, is there anything we can think of? And we've just come up together uh, as a group of practices to think about um, perhaps, you know, are they going to school, homeless, just a couple of risk factors. But the great thing about that, and I was interested listening to Annabelle, is that we've been working with schools, we've been working with public health, uh, we've been working with some young people, and I've never done that before, 20 years as a GP. And um, not only is it really exciting, I think that it's uh, definitely going to improve population health. I I'm not sure how you regulate something like that, but 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 I'm sure there's a way. Um, and these are the things that are, are, I think, you know, what I'd call like big, big scale innovation, uh, but not doing it on our own. And I think while general practices are great, we're small, agile organisations. In that sense, we're very different to hospitals and, and community trusts. We can implement change very quickly but there's a lot that we can't do on our own and working collaboratively and you know when we saw the NHS long-term plan come out in 2019 and even today's um, integrated care systems coming in it is about collaboration because we know that our patients are the people we serve need more than just one service uh, they don't mind what service it is we need a joined up service so it's great to hear your example and I think um, I'd love to see and be part of that sort of innovation more where we've got our schools our public health our voluntary sectors so um, we're, we're more than halfway through our project pilot we'll keep you posted on how that's going with our re trying to reduce knife crime. Well, that's an excellent project for Zana that's it's going to have a real impact for your community and I'm glad you 
discussed collaboration because what we've done so far in the field work for this project is obtain case studies from GP practices around all areas or regions of England and we've seen that a lot of the innovative practice has impacted not only at place level but at systems level and we've had examples of these innovative projects where they're working with their local health authorities or they're working with a group of GP practices or their primary care networks so um, we've definitely we've collected over 80 case studies actually um, revealing this innovative practice so we're working with Yorkshire and Humber Academic Health Science Network, so they are collaborating partners for this project. And we've been liaising with um, the external stakeholders such as NHS England and Improvement Health Inequalities team. And we're going to use all of this learning from these case studies. So we've been interviewing those practices. We've held roundtable events and focus groups with inspectors and also the patient voice and um, making sure we incorporate that into what we develop into helping GP providers evidence their innovation. So that's where we've got to the project so far. And I think um, that, that in our field work, what, what came out was that practices don't always know if what they're doing is innovative. So we need to find a way of, of capturing that innovation. And as a regulator, we need to we need to review how, you know, going back to the point about about measuring impact, we need to go, we need to find out, you know, what the impacts are on, on, on communities and go beyond traditional feedback sources such as GP patient survey um, and actually listen to what to what people are telling us. Because once we as a regulator can capture that innovation, then it's going to be better shared to encourage an improvement um, across practices and systems. Um, so it can only be a positive thing. That's such an important point, isn't it, Annabelle, where practices don't always know if they're doing something innovative. So you, if you had asked me five, six years ago with the cytology, is that innovative? I would say, well, no, I don't think so. You know, this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be increasing our smear. So it's only when we put it all together, we thought actually we're doing something a bit different to others, but others could also do that. It's not, it, once you've kind of got your recipe, if you like, um, you, you could, um, you know, you could actually pick that up and, and um, share that and hope to implement it in another practice. Yeah, absolutely, Fazan. And that's something, bear in mind this project's only, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a quick project, um, but um, that's something that we want to, we want to be able to capture is we want to be able to not just capture, but support practices to evidence their innovation. Because if if they if, if practices don't, aren't aware that they're what they're doing is innovative, then chances are then they're going to struggle or or they could do with some support or help to show the regulators what they're doing. Because quite often practices are doing really innovative things, but they struggle to evidence it through our current regulatory systems. There are ways um, currently where we can capture innovation, but I think that it, it definitely needs definitely needs some further improvement. It definitely needs this project to make sure that, that practices are, are supported to, to evidence their evidence their innovation so that, that can be that can be shared. Thank you everyone. Some some really great points there and some really great examples of innovation and it's clear that innovation is important in tackling health inequalities. Davina, you know what outcomes are we hoping that this project will achieve and the recognition of innovation is, is that a key outcome for the project? 
Um, thanks, David. So as Annabelle and Fazana alluded to, these innovative approaches can have significant benefits for populations that may be going unrecognised with sometimes potentially a negative impact on ratings. Um, and we don't want GPs having this perception that innovative solutions are not valued. So we really want to change this. And this project is in line with the government's priorities as well in relation to encouraging innovation in primary care. And we also want to try and improve GP practices, experience of and confidence in regulation. So we've already seen remarkable examples in the case studies we've collected to date. And really what we aim to achieve in this project is helping these practices evidence their innovation so it's recognised within the regulatory process. And therefore, we will foster this supportive regulatory environment for services where they feel able to try these new approaches to care to reduce health inequalities. So that's our main overall aim. Bazana, what support do general practices need to be innovative and to tackle health inequalities? And you mentioned a bit earlier about working collaboratively. Do you see that as being a big part of what will aid general practices? I think that is a big part. I think the first thing they need, though, is the time and the headspace. I think that, or, or I would, I will go as far as to make the claim that all general practice at the moment would say we're going around the hamster wheel and there is no time. I don't know if you've seen that picture where there's two cavemen walking with something really heavy and someone's trying to give them a wheel and, and they say, no, thanks, we're too busy. And it feels like general practice is a bit like that. We, we can't think of uh, more innovative ways or smarter ways to work that would actually help the workforce as well, because we're just so busy. So I, I think some intentional time and headspace, which sadly is not given to general practice and wasn't given before the pandemic. And I think until that time for innovation is valued, I don't think we're going to move too far forward. I think some of us who are crazy and absolutely love this work will do it, but I think the majority won't. So I think given the time and the headspace, I think there'll be a lot more innovation. I think there is something that if I may be so bold as well, that the the GP provider relationship with the regulator at the moment is still they're coming to mark my homework, um, which, um, you know, how we change that issue, because it's clear that that's not what it's about. And I have had a CQC visit myself as, as a, you know, as a registered provider. It certainly wasn't. It didn't feel like there was just homework being marked. But I think that that is something that then puts um, GP providers um maybe puts them on the defensive a little bit so it's harder to share if you don't know that you're doing something innovative so i think those two are probably the biggest things that need to be addressed giving gps and their teams headspace to actually think about doing something differently and also thinking about how we view our regulators differently of course there's a job to do it's about regulation but it isn't all about having your homework marked and having those red crosses, there's some nice green ticks as well. Thank you, Fazana. And finally, Davina, what are the next steps for this project? Thanks, David. And our next steps is basically learning from all these case studies, learning from the interviews we've undertaken, the roundtable events, the focus groups, and applying this to create something where we can help the providers evidence their innovation. 
because at the end of the day, we feel better regulatory recognition and the sharing of this best practice could really pave the way for exciting developments in our primary care sector, bringing benefits to both practice teams and people using the services. Thank you, Davina. And that's all the time we have for today. I would like to thank my guests, Dr. Davina Maru, Annabelle Stigwood, and Dr. Fazana Hussein. You can keep up to date with the CQC Regulators Pioneers Fund project at cqc.citizenlab.co. Just follow the link in the podcast description. Until next time, thank you for listening.